Okay, it's running, and we'll go live here. <clears throat> Hi, everybody. This is Doug Thorpe. Today, I'm visiting with a longtime friend and colleague, uh, Bill Weber. Uh, Bill is a retired Brigadier General from the U.S. Army, and today we're going to talk about everything leadership. Bill, thanks for joining us. How are you doing? Good, Doug. Thank you for having me. Appreciate the opportunity. You betcha. You betcha. So, Bill, you uh, made a long-time career of the military, and I, on behalf of all our listeners, uh, I do want to say thank you for your service. Um, what uh, led you to go military? Uh, well, let's see. I was My father was a soldier, of course. He was a lieutenant colonel in the Army, and, uh, you know, you inspired me as well as we were students at A&M, and then... Eventually, what I thought it figured out was, uh, for some reason, people kept following me. I wasn't sure why. And then uh, it dawned on me that maybe I had some leadership skills. And then, you know, I was fortunate to uh, develop those somewhat in the Corps cadets there at A&M. And then uh, once I joined the Army, or was commissioned in the Army, the uh, opportunities to lead soldiers just, of course, was part of the job description. And, and I figured out that I was pretty good at that. So over time, I got better and better. And uh, the Army kept um, meeting my own personal goals and professional goals. And I felt like I was contributing. So uh, so I don't need to leave. And uh, the opportunities to lead soldiers uh, was just a lot of fun. So that's why I stayed uh, 32 years. Well, well, speaking of the days at A&M, you were a business management major. And um, you know, as I recall, some of the things they tried to teach us there uh, made a lot of sense. But then when we got out in the real world hit, there was a whole new education that happened. How was your experience with that? Uh, no, that's right. I mean, uh, you start off with a certain level of theory and then a certain level of experience up to that point at 21 or 22 years old. It may or may not be good experiences, but, the you know, the theory of uh, – leadership and or management to some extent, managing organizations, leading people. Uh, I think uh, you only get better at that through experience and uh, watching what others are doing or failing to do. And then uh, some of it is just uh, leadership by discovery. And then eventually you settle on a leadership style that, that appeals to people to get done what they need to do. So um, I think, you know, over time, it wasn't any better or worse than anything else, I guess, but it gave us a foundation to start from that was pretty good. And then our the opportunities we had, uh, all of us, most of us, some of us in the Corps Cadets, I think was really was was really useful, you know, just the leadership cauldron environment that we operated in and really, really set some good uh, baselines for us. Yeah, yeah. So when you got commissioned and went on active duty, um, there is – a, a very natural, I call it the power of the position, and the military is probably more obvious than even corporate America may be. You know, young people going into the business world, they may be called the unit manager, the unit leader, team leader, whatever. Um, but the power of the position is a little bit more vague. But in the military, it's pretty specific. Your platoon leader, your company commander, et cetera, et cetera. So 
how did you embrace that early recognition of the power of the position? Well, you're right. I mean, uh, it's pretty defined for any rank or position that you're going in. Uh, there, there are very few surprises. I mean, the organization's been around a long time. So I was comfortable in that. I mean, it's a structured environment where there are expectations from everybody that depending on your position and your rank, of course. And um, frankly, I found it pretty helpful. You know, I mean, you're the platoon leader to start with your initial position. And uh, there are certain expectations for the, what the platoon leader should be doing. And, uh, you know, you're called a leader for, any, for a reason. You know, you're the only position in a platoon that called a leader. The rest of them were implied. In this case, you're designated. And by virtue of your rank and your position, uh, that's what you do. So, uh, uh, so it was pretty easy. I mean, it takes some while. It takes a while to transition in a new organization with new people and trying to figure out the motivations, uh, get people to do what you need them to do. So, uh, but over time, you get used to your position and uh, what you're supposed to be doing. And uh, but in the army, of course, it's a little different. Once you get used to what you're doing, we move you on to the next position. So. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's how we that's how we develop people, I guess. Not, uh, sometimes not too different from corporate America and the way things happen. Yeah. So, how quickly were you able to transition from relying just solely on the power of the position and move into, uh, well, I'll call it bona fide leadership, where you're exerting some of your own style and your own initiative and character? Yeah, I think uh, not only for platoon leader, but I think for virtually every position, it takes about six months until you get real comfortable with what your responsibilities are and with the people you're working with. Um, you know, over time, it takes less time, I think. You know, the more senior you get, you're more familiar. You're not uh, as concerned about the organization because you understand it a little better than you normally would. But as a new lieutenant, it takes about six months. And uh, that's what I tell everybody that I work with leader development on is any new position takes four to six months, depending on your skill sets, and then depending as well on the complexity of the operation and the experience of the people working for you. I mean, you know, as an example, if you're going into a SEAL team as, as a lieutenant commander in a SEAL team, well, you've been around a SEAL team before, so you don't you have full trust and confidence in what those guys are doing already, and you don't have to work, worry about it and check their homework, you know, so you, it's just a function now of you fitting in on your particular leadership style, but um, but for organizations less complex, of course, and um, with less experience involved, uh, I think any leader, uh, unless you've been around the business or the, the profession for a while, if you're going into a new position, typically it's the first time you've been in that position. So it takes some time to transition, trying to figure out what it is. And then um, from my point of view, it was always if you could get a third of that, a third of your available time worrying about trying to figure out the organization, then you have two-thirds of your time to be effective and efficient in the organization. That's what I was always shooting for. So uh, It's a rough rule of thumb, four to six months. If you're going beyond six months, you've either got a very complex organization or you need some help. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And turning the tables a little bit, thinking about being a more a senior executive with some junior executives just taking on those roles and doing the things you're talking about with the six-month transition. Um, 
isn't there something to be said for maybe not wanting those junior guys to make too many changes and move too many deck chairs until they figure it all out? Um, yeah, I think so. I mean, again, you're assuming that's a pretty constant organization that doesn't have any severe problems, but yeah. Uh, and the smart guys will. The smart guys will realize, look, just take some time, see what's working well, what's not working well. Don't come in and start making changes because uh, doesn't set well with the current administration in terms of the organization. Everybody's been there a while, and if you come in and criticize and start changing, it's an, uh, it, they tend to take that personally that they haven't been doing a, pre a good job previous to that. So there's some of that going on. And then, uh, you know, my other point is what makes you so damn experienced that you have you can change all this stuff around already? I mean, what, what, have, what have I missed? You know, did you go to some certain school or is this uh, unique conditions? Now, there are situations. I mean, if you're if you're moving laterally into the same types of organizations, you know, uh, the learning curve's clearly in there. I mean, if you're commanding a company for the third time or a platoon for a second time, you know, uh, a third time, you probably have it down pretty pat, you know, what right looks like. So you don't, you waste even less time getting settled in. Right, right. So looking at things from the military backdrop, do you have a lot of latitude to exert personal leadership style? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, yeah, it's not as draconian as uh, autocratic as some people think it is, actually. It's, uh, you know, and, uh, and over time we've developed a doctrine that says, look, we want kind of centralized planning and then decentralized execution. So, um, so we can plan efficiently enough with the resources and then we provide those and then we expect subordinates to go out and just use their imagination to, to get the job done. So um, again, it's all personality dependent. Some, some micromanagers aren't comfortable with that. Uh, so they get too involved, I think in some things, but, uh, but as a general rule, yeah, I mean, uh, People find it hard to believe, but there's a lot of room in the Army and other uh, services for creative thinking and uh, uh, building an environment that people can flourish in, you know, because the command climate is there to allow people to make mistakes without being tortured, and there's no zero defect implications. And that's how organizations grow, how people grow, you know. It's, you've got some, some left and right limits in there, and as long as somebody doesn't really break something bad, um, make some mistakes, underwrite those mistakes and grow from them. Mm -hmm. Great, great. I've seen some discussion that uh, the military actually at, at some level is actually studying and embracing this notion of servant leadership. Am I correct on that or is that? Uh, yeah. Well, we espouse it all the time anyway, but uh, it hadn't made its way into our leader development uh, doctrine yet, but it's talked about all the time, and and you know it, it clearly makes sense. I mean, we're called service members, right? We're, we're the armed services. Well, what, what's the root cause of those terms? It's service to our country. You know, it's service to the army. It's service. I mean, so intuitively, it makes sense anyway. Um, and sometimes, you know, we lose sight of that fact, maybe, but it. it we always try to keep coming back to the point, look, we're, we're here to serve the nation. That's what we do. And if you remember that, uh, regardless of where they send you and what you're being asked to do, you know, it's service to the country. That's why, you know, that's why it's called service members and service groups. 
It's no different than USO, right? United, uh, United Services Organization. It's, so in that context, it's all about uh, doing something for a country in the Army, specifically. Yeah, yeah. Well, today we're talking to retired Brigadier General uh, Bill Weber. We're going to take a short break, and I'll be back on the other side. Cut, and okay. Now insert some good stuff, and yeah. we're going to come back. Um, Let me refill my gin and tonic here. Ed. Yeah, there you go. Um, restart a little clock here. <laughs> Oops. Da, da, da. Oh, there we go. Okay. All right, in three, two, one, we're back. We're back today with retired Brigadier General Bill Weber, U.S. Army. Uh, we've been talking about leadership in the context of the military, but in the second half, I would like to turn it around a little bit, Bill. Um, if, uh, if you had any advice you could give to a, a new first-time leader, no respect to where they're planted and what they've been tasked to do. Um, what are the couple of things you would encourage them to get started on right away? Well, leadership is about people. So um, you need to get out there and work on your, on your people skills, if you will. Learning to understand people, how to communicate with people, uh, how their personal styles differ or are alike as your style because you can't move people around if you don't understand what motivates and what drives them. In the commercial world, of course, it tends to be profit, paycheck, salaries, and that sort of stuff. And in the armed services, it's different. Um, but it's all the same. It's about getting uh, the, the most out of your people as their potential uh, possesses. So uh, as, as any leader, I mean, you're looking at motivating your people to, to get the job done. I mean, that's fundamentally true in every specialty or profession. So how do you do that? Well, you've got to get out and you've got to meet them and you got to work with them. you got to understand them. And you've got to uh, sympathize, empathize, care for them. You know, what we teach in the Army is that you cannot be a good leader if you don't care for people. You know, that's, that's on a personal level. Care about what their personal concerns are. Care about them professionally in terms of their development care about their pay and their families, all those sorts of things are a little different. Some of them are unique to the military and the armed services, but not really. You know, if you have an employee in the commercial world that has pay problems, that, that, you better care enough about that individual and get his pay figured out. Um, and, and, you know, it applies across the board, but, but caring, you got to learn how to care for people. And then the second piece of that is, in my view, is um, – you know, what I tell people that I work with in, in leadership development uh, courses in the Army is, look, your legacy is not defined by how well the unit does today or how well uh, next year. What your legacy is defined is how well you develop your junior leaders to become senior leaders. And that working on the next generation of people um, to show them what right looks like will establish some good leadership traits early on that take care of people. So that's kind of my approach to it is, you know, leadership's about caring. Leadership is about people. Uh, management is about things. Leadership's about people. That's how I kind of cleanly define it. It's more complex, of course, but fundamentally that's how I look at things. And then um, your legacy is not going to be, uh, you know, 
building a hundred million dollar company into a 300 million company, million dollar company. It might be commercially. I don't know. Uh, they'll put a statue of you up, up front and all, but your legacy really is how did you develop the leaders to take on the next, after you retire, the next generation? Not only your company, but uh, making uh, your community or your profession stronger. I mean, that's what people get remembered for. In my view. So that's kind of my approach, Doug. Yeah. Makes sense. So somewhere in the middle of all that, and uh, I guess this goes back to business school, I remember uh, one of the theories they talked to us about is that sort of nine box grid that talks about man versus mission and making the right balance depending on the circumstance. And uh, mission, of course, is a word that everybody thinks about with the military. Uh, so it's more so, but uh, mission or purpose, goal, whatever, is also very viable commercially. So when we think about leadership, um, what, what do you teach young leaders about that balance of man versus mission? Yeah, I don't think it's any different, frankly. I mean, uh, because everybody has a purpose. I mean, every, every organization has a mission or a purpose, you know, it's to do something either to present or uh, uh, manufacture paper clips or solve the world health problems or, you know, you can take it from one extreme to the other and the military is no different. You know, we have, we have a purpose, which is to fight our nation's wars. So uh, the, the kind of mantra I always worked with was mission first, people always. How do you separate those? I don't know that you can. You know, you can't accomplish a mission if you don't have the right people and resources to get you there. Well, you can't take care of your people. You know, sometimes you have to take care of your people before you get the mission done well enough. I don't know. It's a very fine line. But but fundamentally, you cannot fail in accomplishing your purpose and mission because uh, there are times that you do. You know, people get killed. things don't go well enough, you, you meet, uh, fail to meet your revenue expectations, your profit expectations, whatever it is, we do fail. Everybody does. Every organization does, I mean. So, you know, maybe you got to go back and peel the onion back and say, what happened? Did we set the bar too high? Did we not have adequate resources, adequate people developed, leaders in the right places? All those sorts of things come to mind. But fundamentally, if you have the right organization that's structured with the right people to lead and to follow uh, against a mission that they're capable of achieving, there should never be mission failure. You know, there'll be some some uh, adjustments along the way, no doubt. But um, but it all starts with people. I mean, sure, you have a purpose, you have a mission, you have something you got to do. Well, then you build the organization to get you there. You you fill the organization with the right people with the right resources, with the right training. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, like any organization, that's what gets you there. So developing the right leaders to be the next generation and create that legacy, there is a raging debate among some academicians and others. Uh, the question being, is leadership born or bred? Uh, for the sake of putting you on the yeah. on the spot here, do you have an opinion on that question? Yeah, I mean, we we always think about that as well. I, I would say both. Uh, you know, there's some individuals that do have some natural leader skills that are obvious at a very young age. You know, you you can think of uh, you know Patton, 
was one. MacArthur is one. Now, certainly they're born into situations and families where there are certain expectations for their, their offspring, you know, so those expectations get started early in kids. But, but there are, I think there are natural leaders, you know, you think of Churchill. I mean, but my other point is that they're very far and few between. And uh, when you'd say natural leaders, okay, they may be, but they still have to go through a, a development period where they really uh, get to hone their leadership skills. I mean, you don't you don't learn to be a prime minister of, uh, of England without kind of going through some experiences, positive and negative. So, yes, there are, in my view, there are uh, people born with the right leadership skills to do a good job. The rest of us, I think, uh, are born with some of those skills. There are some that are born with none of those skills. So the none of those skills, folks, don't go very far if you're trying to develop them for leaders. They they don't become leaders, and they, for the most part, don't want to. But for the rest of us, we have some fundamental leadership skills or traits that we're born with. We may not realize it, and then uh, as a function of experience, education, and training, um, those skills are developed, and then uh, you know they're honed, and then they're, they're uh, prosecuted in that sense, and then you know you become a leader. I mean, not mm-hmm. all of us joining the army are destined to become general officers. None of us want to be. None, <laughs> none of us should be. Some of us should be, but but uh, the traits that get you to become a general officer are developed over time with a lot of leader. Uh, development periods in your life to include formal education, experience, and uh, informal situations working with people. Great, great. Good words. So we're coming kind of to the home stretch here, Bill. Um, let's, uh, let's take it home with just a, a, a basic summation here. If, if you were talking to a small room full of aspiring business leaders that, that were just put in that position for the first time, what are a couple of the thoughts you'd, you'd leave with them? Yeah, and I'm, I'm assuming a profit-oriented organization here. Yeah, yeah. Really, I mean, uh, well, my advice would be to them, look, all of you have uh, certain metrics that you're measured against uh, in order to be uh, profitable as a company and in order to be successful, Okay. Those metrics sometimes are easier in the commercial world than our services. You know, we have our own metrics, but in the commercial world, it's, it's pretty clear to you what you need to do to be successful. You cannot be successful if you're leading people without their support, <laughs> okay? Right. You have to get their support by demonstrating that you know what you're doing. You may not, so it's always fair to ask. Okay? Peers, ask your superiors, ask your subordinates. What are you doing wrong? There's nothing wrong with that. But, uh, but you have to get buy-in from your subordinates, in this case, to uh, do what you need them to do. And my fundamental uh, definition of leadership is, look, it's all about getting people to do what you need them to do. Eisenhower said that somewhere along the line, but that's it. Uh, so if you can't get people motivated to do what you need them to do, then one, you're not doing something right as a leader, or two, they're not capable of following. So one of you has to change. So, uh, but the bottom line is you have a mission to achieve, whatever that's described to be, and you have metrics that are laid out to do that. So 
it's not hard to get people to follow you. If you just demonstrate some sincerity in terms of their personal life, in terms of the quality of their work, most of us respond pretty well to positive reinforcement. Most of us respond very poorly to negative reinforcement. So if something goes wrong and you rant and rave and scream at people, well, you get the kind of same response that you would expect. People not buying in. If you build an organization and lead a, a group of people that allows for mistakes, honest mistakes that, uh, that aren't catastrophic, in some cases they could be, but uh, if you can uh, establish the parameters for people to work in, give them some freedom, let them feel comfortable that they're part of the team, then you'll do well. And uh, everybody learn as the experience continues. It's a good deal. Good deal. Well, Bill, thank you very much. It's uh, it's a pleasure to have had you on the on the segment here. Um, again, folks, uh, this is uh, Brigadier General Bill Weber, retired from the U.S. Army, uh, longtime friend and colleague of mine. Um, you can uh, pick this video up again if you want to uh, see it for later replay on DougThorpe.com. I look forward to uh, seeing you in the next episode. Thank you, Doug. All right, Bill. Thank you. And I am going to stop the recording.